0: Welcome to a, another edition of the Pedestrian Podcast, a UK Seattle Seahawks cast. There's only really one thing on most Seahawks fans' minds, and this week on the ped pod we're going to cover every aspect of that, and to do so, joining myself to Core, is, as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir?
1: I'm not so bad. There's a s- slim chance this podcast might find its way through the Sonos in my kitchen tomorrow morning in front of uh, chefs and staff, so I'm going to be on my best slash most pointless behavior, I think, because uh, just in case.
0: Okay. Uh, and also joining myself, and Adam, is our favorite Canadian. Well, until Luke Wilson comes on the pod, I pro- I'd probably imagine. Mr. Alistair Corp, how are we, sir?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. I will uh, I'll humbly accept that title. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, doing as well as somebody can after uh, just wa- rewatching the game this morning. So yeah. my brain is a little bit mushy now.
0: Yeah. I mean, watching your Twitter feed for the last hour or so has been... I mean, the Russell Wilson stock was fun but the rest of it was gnarly again, Alistair
2: Yep, pretty much <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, So on Sunday, the Seahawks lost and boy did they find an impressive, infuriating uh, disheartening, disorientating way to lose, Adam
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean firstly, I must say that if Paul Stalteri makes it on the podcast, he'll be the number one Canadian as well Um, just get that out there you know straight off the bat Um, what a pull that is well yeah I I think he's the only Canadian Lars Hirschfeld played for Spurs a couple of trial games as well but he's the only other Canadian so Staltieri, Wilson, Corp (laughs) it's not a bad front three not a bad front three (laughs) Um, it was just a ridiculous game I mean the, the, the most maddening thing about the whole thing was that I think I sent you a text in the middle of the third quarter saying, put the house on the Seahawks winning this. Because even in the first half, I was like, right, this is what we do. It's annoying, but they recover. And they did start to recover. And I thought, well done you for having the patience in the first half to just laugh at the defense instead of kind of get annoyed by it because you know they're always going to find a way to rally. But I guess eventually there's only so many times where you can cash those chips in uh, and they end up coming up trumps. And um, in this case, they just obviously... Yeah, it just all completely went to shit with that with that fumble. Uh, although the pick that was run back, I mean, 4-10, i was kind of forgotten the order they happened in. But, uh, I mean, the cynic might say that the team had this game coming to them, um, which I guess we'll go into later on, you know, when we talk about more general themes. But uh, it was a tough, tough watch from pretty much play one, in fairness.
0: Yeah, I mean, 7-0... Uh, start giving up. Well, Bills got off to a 7-0 start Alistair then the Seahawks go 3 and out. we've seen that we've sung that song before haven't we but this one was uh, it was a bit of a remix remix to ignition on this week wasn't it Alistair
2: yeah you know I was in a similar boat to where I kind of thought they're gonna they're gonna kind of figure this out um, but right away it was it was really poor I mean that first drive it was brutal. Even watching back back the coaches film this morning, how it kind of goes play by play. And you're just looking at it and it's like, you know, nine yard gain, seven yard gain, 17 yard gain, 24 yard gain. And it's just like, where, where did any of these stops come from? Like looking back at it, I'm not sure why I ever had this idea that, oh, they'll figure it out. Cause it was, it was a horrible game. Um, I think probably the worst game they played since LA last year away. But mm. um, yeah, it, it was, it was really rough. Um, yeah. I, I just keep going back to this. I think rewatching the biggest thing for me was they were never really in it. I think I kind of lied to myself where you think, you know, they're going to do the Seahawks thing where they figure it out. But in hindsight, they were, they were never in it. They never even really made a push, which is pretty discouraging because it's rare you see a team coached by Pete Carroll come out that flat across the board. You know, sometimes they do come up flat first quarter play poorly the first couple of quarters, but they kind of figured it out. They never even came close to figuring it out.
0: Yeah. I think the, the reference I made, Adam, on was it was like the panthers playoff game what three four years ago when Johnson Stewart ran for like eighty yards on the first play, and we were twenty nil down before before I think we even like stretched out the ha- the hamstrings like it kind of felt like that but uh, but like, yeah like I said, it never kind of turned around like that game did, and we kind of were kicking ourselves for a slow start um you
1: you said the first thing that struck me from the very first play is you know. Uh, in Remember the Titans when I think the captain has a fumble in, in like the semi-final and runs it back and he, he looks like he's running really weirdly it's like a legendary piece of awful sports film how, how weirdly he's running Bobby Wagner on that first play to Stefan Diggs looked like he was running like he didn't look like an athlete it was so slow and I don't know what it was but it looked like he was running through treacle and from the very first play I thought hmm that just doesn't look right I mean especially after yeah. the game he had against San Francisco it almost looked like he was still knackered from that game because he just couldn't run.
2: That's too funny. That first play for me as well was something that, that stuck in my head. Of oh my god, they look slow. They do not look prepared at all. And and it was Wagner specifically that first play that was like uh oh.
1: <laughs> it, it honestly looked like a guy a hundred pounds over Wagner's weight was like putting the jersey on for like a prize winning play, and like <laughs> you're allowed to play the first play of the game as a prize. It it, it it was ridiculous. I've never seen. I can't think of any player that's looked as comparably slow to what they should be on a play. It was just, it was really quite jarring.
2: I mean, it was like that 2017, I think it was 2017 game against the Rams where they got blown out at home and Wagner was injured and, and he didn't look right from the jump. And yeah, he, he basically looks like he's playing on one leg and, and it was a repeat there. And uh, yeah, every now and then we see these little weird flashes where Bobby really looks his age. And, and it is always kind of, uh, it's, it's never not alarming. And it was incredibly alarming on that play.
0: Yeah, it's, it, well, I think it's alarming because it's so far off what we've watched for the last eight nine years, isn't it, Adam? With, especially with Wagner, who's just kind of done the same thing for eight nine years. So when he has a uh, a sluggish day, shall we say, it's more alarming and more palpable when you watch it.
1: Well, especially after like we came you know, a week ago, we're we sat here thinking. He's owned the number 54 jersey ahead of Fred <laughs> Warner, like in the Battle of the 54s. He's put in like an all-time performance from him. And then he comes up looking like that. And it was, yeah, it was bizarre. But I mean, I guess as, as a general comment that we'll get into later, you know, the, the, the age of some of these guys as they go, I mean, how sustainable is it that, that they keep relying on going back into the same well of, of, of the talent that they've got? Because it's just, it's just tricky now.
0: Yeah, uh, Josh Allen on Sunday for the Bills was 31 for 38, 415 yards and three touchdowns. And he ran one in as well. I mean, he's he's a pretty good quarterback, but we made him look like he was leading the MVP race not the guy on the other sideline, Alistair
2: yeah. I mean, they kind of just enabled him to do what he is good at as a thrower, which is just seeing it come open and hitting it. Like if he, if he's allowed to just sit back and, and kind of navigate the blitz as he did, I mean, he can hit an open receiver obviously has some accuracy issues, but like if he sees a dude running open, if he sees Stefan Diggs running open across the middle, he's fully capable of hitting him. If you're like confusing him pre-snap with different zone blitz looks, dropping guys in different areas where you didn't think like if you're making Josh Allen, be you mentally, he's not going to do it. If you're letting him beat you physically, he's going to do it nine times out of 10 and he, yeah. he, beat the hell out of seattle exactly that way on sunday
0: yeah Stefan diggs had nine for 118 john brown had eight for 99 uh neither got in the end zone but Stefan diggs i mean we saw was it a couple of years ago where we where the silks triple covered him i don't think they even bothered to put one guy in him or the one guy they did put on that was apparently injured in quinton dunbar who had a day to forget
1: yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was injured, which, you know, is fair enough. Maybe don't put the guy out on an island against one of the, the best receivers, but before we knew the extent of the injury, like I was watching that game thinking, I can't think of a worse performance <laughs> from a player that I've maybe ever seen in an NFL because it was it was almost embarrassing.
0: It, it was flat he was playing flag football. There was yeah. there, there was one player it must have been to Diggs on the sideline, the far sideline. And Dunbar was like five yards behind him and just not even really doing much of anything. But yeah, like the, the injury, which is another question on the coaching and why, why they didn't have enough trust in the guys behind him when it was clearly just not working when he was playing on one leg, as you say, against one of the best in the league. Um, Adam, uh, Adam, so it's another way of uh, just strange decisions and strange output on Sunday, keeping Dunbar out there if he was quite clearly injured for those watching from the side sideline.
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I kept wondering was, it was kind of like, what did he look like during the week? Because it was pretty obvious immediately that he was not fit to play. I mean, like you said, on an Island against Diggs, who like just such a jittery, amazing route runner, like that's a horrible matchup in, in any situation, but if you're playing on one leg. It's brutal. And, and yeah, I don't know. How they thought that he was kind of ready to go, um, if he looked at anything like that in practice during the week, because it was just you know we were talking about Wagner playing at a different speed, Dunbar was playing at a way different speed, and it was it was not uh, not game speed. So maybe they just kind of hoped that he could go with Griffin not being there, but uh, it was a regrettable decision, and and maybe it wouldn't have made a difference just because they were so outclassed on the day. But uh, yeah, that that's pretty frustrating. One in hindsight,
0: yeah. So Adam, you said before that you wanted to do a kind of. S- state of the union or lack of their state on the defensive side. Do you want to lead on a, a few points you want to make?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, look, there's only so much we can physically talk about that game uh, as an as a single entity without just wanting to throw up. So what I thought we might do is kind of I'll, if we throw Alice some kind of general questions about the defense that are kind of would be like the, the social media hot take questions. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with them or disagree with them, but it'd be good to get some kind of much better informed answer. And I think one of the first ones, as we're talking about the secondary um, is, you know, talking about the, the star of that or the person that was brought in to be the star of that in, in Jamal Adams. And I guess the first, like, what what are your general views on, on how he started and how he's fitted in? Because um, in a way, it's it's kind of seemed like with familiarity, he's, he's almost getting a bit worse, which is a bit strange.
2: Yeah, I don't think that you can underrate. Uh, I don't think he's healthy. I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, he still looked a little bit banged up on Sunday. Um, I don't think you can kind of underrate how, how brutal it is to miss out on all of those reps for over the past, you know, month, and never mind just in games, but in practices, like he's kind of learning an entirely new defense. Uh, I think that that's kind of, that's going to affect your play speed because you're not just kind of, you know, in action, you're, you're, you're thinking as well. So that's going to be hard. Um, but yeah, I think they really need to figure out what they're going to do with them, because I think the best version of this defense, both like this ex- exact version of the defense, and just you know Pete Carroll's defense as a broad idea, is cover three, rush four. You're not kind of exposing, and especially as the linebackers are getting older, because then you're putting them in worse positions by blitzing, because they're kind of out on an island in space, and and it's just asking too much of guys who are you know physically declining, despite how good they are. Um, so yeah, I think they really they need to figure out what they want to do with Adams moving forward. Um, I don't think there's ever a question of whether or not he'll be resigned. Like, of course he's going to be mm-hmm. resigned. You don't, you don't trade two first round picks to let him walk in any situation. That's not even the Seahawks would, would do that level of craziness. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I think this the next couple of months are going to be interesting just to see how his role develops because I don't think we really got a chance to see it develop at all before he got injured. Because, I mean, week one, he's just kind of thrown into the deep end. Uh, and I mean, he was amazing. He was everywhere against Atlanta. Week two, he was put in a brutal spot because Diggs got ejected early. And so he was just kind of terrorized uh, defending the post all game. And then week three, he gets hurt. So, yeah, I don't think we've really seen much of anything from Adams. I think they're just kind of trying to maximize, you know, physical skills and and an unmatched ability to blitz because, I mean, he is making a huge, huge impact there. But, uh, yeah, I don't really think we've seen like 80% of what he's going to be able to do for the defense because they just haven't had a chance yet. Um, so I think that's something that's kind of got to change down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think with Adams, it's kind of like we saw with the, I think we saw with the Feddy when he missed time in his rookie year, RJ Collier last year, that like, when you miss time in a new team, Especially in a weird truncated off season that this, every NFL team had in a new system it's going to be affected I think we just saw the effects of that as you say, last on Sunday. I think like we were talking about him last night, i he's like, I would not be amazed if he's the Seahawks is Bruno Fernandez, and that <laughs> it was a, a player that they had to sign they just signed at the wrong time because everything else was in a state of flux and not good enough to make his impact more bigger and more impactful than it has been because like yeah you sign Bruno Fernandes because he's class but maybe don't sign him when you can't defend anywhere else him.
1: yeah I mean that uh, that is an interesting one I mean the the funny thing is that I remember we said at the start of the, at the start of the season like you know they didn't you know the let Russ Cook thing was obviously the the, the big hot hot you know hot phrase but we were talking about how they didn't really let Jimmy Graham do what he wanted to do. They didn't massively let Clowney do what he wanted to do. Um, Even Sheldon Richardson, like they didn't, what we thought we were going to get from those guys, we didn't necessarily see it to its fullest. But when it comes to Jamal Adams, Alistair, they're almost kind of doing, it's almost like they were stung by Greg Williams' criticism that he'd be bored in the Seahawks offense and saying, well, fuck that. Like, we're going to just going to do, let you do whatever the hell you want. And it's almost like it's becoming to a fault like how much they're allowing him to blitz and you know not cover and ultimately is that having a detriment in the back end where it already doesn't have the greatest players alongside him anyway
2: yeah i am i'm genuinely surprised at how much he has blitzed i mean going back to those greg williams comments when he was kind of acquired and everybody is looking at those sack numbers from last year uh as you know a reason to be excited i didn't think he was going to be this involved at all as a blitzer um i mean i kind of thought they would just do similar things to cam and just kind of have it be a cam and Earl or Earl reboot, because, you know, those are the only, that's really the only time where they've had two safeties who can both play single high. Um, you know, obviously we think of Earl as kind of the center fielder, but, but cam rotated back plenty over the years. Um, and, and Jamal Adams is capable of doing that as well. Diggs is obviously capable of playing up in the box. So I expected more of that, but it hasn't been the case at all. It kind of just let Adams be a, a box safety and, and, and nothing more. Um, it's really strange to me. I don't know that, uh, yeah. I, I just, you know, when he was acquired, I thought this is a player who, who Pete Carroll loves like the person and no doubt that played a big part, just like the entire, you know, the, the culture that Jamal Adams brings with him. Like he, he is amazing in that regard. I think he's going to be, you know, a franchise pillar for, for five, 10 years. But um, I also thought that he was going to have pretty much like a, a perfect idea in his mind of what he, what Adams looked like in the defense and now I'm less convinced because I don't think we've really seen it at all. Um, and yeah, maybe that goes back to what I was saying of how we really just haven't had a chance because it's just been such a little sample size. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty surprised by his role, and it is something that that I'm so curious to see how it develops.
0: Any other points, Adam? On Adams
1: or on general? Just, stuff? just general. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess an, another question, uh, and this is as reductive as as it can possibly get, is that another question is like. The defense is bad, full stop, will be bad, full stop, and will be the reason why the team don't get to where they need to get. Um, I feel like I have my opinion on it. I'm not sure it's quite as strong as that, but I am concerned by how much investment both in the previous drafts and future drafts has gone into making that defense better. And I think it feels like a lot of it hasn't really come to fruition yet. Um, How worried should we be? on the whole by by the state of, of, of the, the defensive side of the ball, given the investment that's gone into it?
2: I might be in the minority here, but I am still kind of not worried as it pertains to this year. Um, I think that the idea that, like, the defense is the reason that the Seahawks won't even contend for a Super Bowl is a little bit um, react- like reactionary to, to Sunday. Um, I think for most of the season, we've kind of seen what we needed to see coming into the season which was literally just be good enough just stay out of the way don't lose games and the offense is good enough to to take them to the super bowl um and i still think that's the case obviously that wasn't the case on sunday but um like do i think that the defense with the personnel they currently have is good enough to be the the 16th best defense by dvoa down the stretch yes i do and and is that plenty good enough for for the seahawks to contend absolutely yes um you know, I I think that we I still haven't really seen, like, the best 11 that they can throw there. You know, we've only seen Carlos Dunlap for 50 snaps or so. We haven't seen him play with Mayo. We haven't seen those three play with Jaron Reed. Like, we haven't seen the secondary really play together much at all. Like, I mean, how many quarters does Shaquille Griffin, Jamal Adams, and Quandary Diggs have together? It's probably six, if that. Um, so, I mean, they haven't really had a chance to play together at all. Uh, you know, if they can get healthy and they can get to a place where, like, you know, the big focus on third downs is switching KJ right for Jordan Brooks and getting a little bit more play speed. And that's the biggest thing that we're worried about on third downs. I think that's a really exciting place and that's not unrealistic. Um, I think it's going to take some more time, but it is still, it's only week 10. Like there's still a long, long way to go. Uh, and I know it's been ugly, but um, they have the personnel to get to a place that's good enough. And, and that's all that really matters It's just being good enough. The defense doesn't need to be spectacular. It doesn't even need to really be good. It just cannot be like, record-breaking bad as it has been.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, I, after, I think after the game, on, I think I said to you, Adam, after the game on Sunday, I watched it. I watched what Pete said and I just kind of, Turned everything off from it i was just been seeing your tweets i still seeing Matty Brown's tweets as well And just I haven't really Apart from Mike Dugas' piece Of Cliff Favorite, I haven't really read Anything Because I just Like we, we saw what we saw But I still think That this defence is going to be able to stay out of their way if everyone can stay fit and healthy. It's just just got to hope that Sunday is the bottom of the barrel, haven't we, Alistair?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think I know that you guys are, are big listeners of, of the Around the NFL podcast as well. And mm-hmm. I kind of keep going back to something Greg Rosenthal would always say about the Saints uh, earlier in the 2010s was basically just their defense needs to be good enough and stay out of the way because their offense is so good. They're so well coached on that side of the ball. And that's how I've thought about that defense all season long is, is just be good enough. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of clinging to that idea and, you know, I thought they're going to be a pretty decent unit in the summer and and so far that's looked foolish. So maybe what I'm saying right now is also going to look foolish, but, uh, (laughs) I just like, and I mean, it, it seems absolutely ridiculous to say, I've seen nothing to have my opinion change, but I, I kind of have, because like they've been horrific, but the personnel still isn't in a place where like there's no improvements to be made. Like no, that's why, you know, I, I, still struggle with this idea of, of who's to blame Pete Carroll, Ken Norton jr. Andre Curtis, like how do you assign the blame? But I think it is just a place of you got to do something. Something has to be done because you continue on like this. Like you're just almost like, you know, you're, you're not being fair to the rest of the roster. Like this is a team that deserves to compete for Super Bowl. You know something something has to be done um try to do anything because yeah it just they're too good to be this poor it's not too late to turn around but i would just like to see some sort of change because you know if nothing else it maybe kickstart something you know it just sounds like i'm at a loss for solutions because in some respects it is completely confounding as to why they are this poor um yeah, I uh, think we're going to learn a lot before they kind of hit the uh, the NFC East stretch of the schedule because then there's nothing to be learned. But the next couple of weeks, I think we'll I think we'll find some stuff out.
0: Yeah, do, is, do you think there's an issue with like making the change because it's so entrenched with what the head coach wants to do? Because it's his, his side of the ball. It's his scheme. At the end of the day, it's just Ken Norton calling the players and in inverted commas, coaching the players up. Do you think that is more of an issue to move on, especially during the season when obviously the trade deadline's gone, free agent Paul is thin as thin can be. Do you think that makes it even a tougher sell in that building to make a change, especially during the season?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I just, I don't think that there's a change going to happen. Uh, certainly not with Ken Norton. I mean, I think that we can kind of have this conversation and it's a worthwhile one and i think it's something that that you know people are rightfully really pushing for but i mean for those who don't know like the Ken Norton Jr and PKL connection goes back to like 2004 when nfl network launched ken norton was was an analyst on on nfl network and Pete Carroll was there for an interview when he was coaching usc and after the interview, he asked ken norton you know walk me out to my car and then when they were walking out of their car he basically recruited him to coach with them at sc and you know if they've been together since say for the couple years where he's been the raider so like the respect he has for norton is is amazing and, and the connection they have you know it's several decades long now so i cannot imagine he he fires him at mid-season um so between, yeah, I think Pete has a lot of belief in the defense clicking still. Like, I think he just has a belief in the personnel and what they do. And then also just the personal connection to Ken Norton. I, I have a hard time seeing it, you know, I think there's a lot of upside of, of Pete's, um, you know, approach to being a, a leader of an organi- organization, you know, how, how inclusive it is to everybody in the organization. But there are downsides situations like this where, you know, maybe maybe the rope is a little bit too long. Um, yeah. So I can't Im- imagine a change is happening.
1: Um, So seven sacks um, for a team that, you know, much maligned pass rush uh, pretty much since the, well, since the, the off season it was was feared that the pass rush wouldn't necessarily be up to scratch. And uh, it was obviously the first game that Carlos Dunlap had played. And I I was struck by, I think four of the sacks came when they were only rushing four guys, which um, considering how much they blitz is, is probably quite a surprise how much, and this is, again, might be rubbish. Um, most of my comments are. Um, h- how much is there to do with the fact that Carlos Dunlap being there is kind of the first name in inverted commas that offensive lines have to actually respect? And kind of going back to the clowny stuff over the summer, um, you know, how we you know, we saw him opening up holes for other guys. I mean, is there anything in there the fact that the first time they get an elite guy? on that defensive line it's kind of opening up things for for other guys to make plays just because they have you know there's a there's they have to respect one side of that line a bit more than they have done in the previous six games
2: I think that's really interesting to, to think about because you know watching it back it wasn't so much Dunlap kind of making things happen and changing the math up front so much as it like, I think if if we're going to talk about any defensive lineman who, who kind of changed things up front for them, it was, it was Jaron Reed. And that's been the truth going back to since July, you know, if, if the pass rush was going to reach the ceiling, it, it needed to be starting with Jaron Reed because he is that talent, that, that kind of talent. I mean, 2018 was, was absolutely phenomenal. And, and we saw it in little tiny spurts in 2019, but um you know, then, but then that kind of goes back to, was Jerron Reed able to be more impactful because the tension was shifted to, to Carlos Dunlap, which in itself, that's worth it alone though. If, if Dunlap's only impact is freeing up Jerron Reed and having Jerron Reed be able to, to disrupt the quarterback at a level that he did in 2018, that's a fantastic trade in itself. You know, that's worth everything. Um, but yeah, I, it was more Reed than Dunlap on Sunday, I thought, but whether that was, you know, a result of Dunlap's presence, maybe. Um, I think if, if those two can kind of, work together in the, in the same manner that Frank Clark and John Reed did in 2018 uh, it's really good news because yeah, again, just the best version of this defense is rushing for, but they can't really rush for if, if Jaron Reed isn't getting pressure, if, if Mayo isn't getting pressure, if Dunlap isn't getting pressure, but with Dunlap's presence and Mayo coming healthy, like they're just starting to have, have a couple of adults on the line that can actually do things like proper NFL players. Um, and, and that's a start because there haven't been enough of those uh, over the past year and year and a half.
0: Yeah, but I mean, because of how much fun Clowney was to watch, Carlos Dunlap that. Just is has a different presence to him. Obviously, he's so he's so long, and that's the first. He just like he kind of looks like when he's high, like a regen on FIFA kind of thing. He's just bigger than everyone else. That kind of seen what that's the first thing that stood out watching him on Sunday. He is kind of different, as you say. He's kind of different to what we've had out there since what Mike Bennett kind of maybe left. He's that kind of gangly, weirdly gangly. Rusher, isn't
2: he? Yeah, as far as being kind of a a really unique rusher and and, and body type, yeah. He, he, I mean, he he and bennett aren't similar body types, but I see what you right. mean as far as like they're just kind of weird one of one players. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Dunlap is similar to Clowny in that like a lot of their wins come come with power, but a nice benefit of Dunlap's length, at least kind of from what I've seen, both in his time with the Bengals that I've kind of watched the past couple weeks and, and on Sunday is he's able to still kind of press the corner and rush wide because he has the length of then He can then narrow his rush and go to power. And it still does the job of kind of opening up lanes for a read or for Rasheem Green who had a couple nice snaps there. So he's still able to kind of widen things out, which is nice, which is mm-hmm. you know why I've been such a proponent of, of Shaquem Griffin getting pass rush snaps is if nothing else, he just kind of makes the, the tackles wide in their sets. Like it just opens things up because everything was so congested last year because Clowney can only really rush – directly on and just it made it so easy to block and so if they can just bend it a little bit more i think it'll just open up more opportunities and yeah just just stopping things from being so congested up front because it's just been it's been brutal they've been getting nothing going
0: yeah well, i mean chicken griffin di- again did not have a defensive snap and so they only had one on special teams for the second straight weekend i mean his usage is is fluctuating more than uh covid covid numbers aren't they
1: yeah, I mean it sounds like I was speaking to Mike Duggal last week and um it sounded like Shikin Griffin was probably a pretty the only beneficiary really of Demontre Moore being suspended um from the from that roster spot that was uh that remained, you know, in, intact cuz uh you know he's been dropped a couple of times already so it did seem like maybe um that was a bit dicey but I, I don't know I mean Griffin seems like the kind of guy that they should be able to find a way to get More out of Alistair. I mean, he he has been explosive and he has done some great things and has provided like a a different speed, a change of pace, and a bit of a spark that sometimes seems lacking from that linebacker group.
2: Completely. Yeah. And I, I'm always kind of, I, I want to say hesitant to to praise him, but I try to be very specific with my words But him just because I think a lot of people think any Shaquem Griffin praise is just rooted in, in the person. Like you just kind of want to see the person succeed. And, and that's not the case here because I was pretty outspoken before his draft class where I didn't think he was going to be anything as a pass rusher in the NFL. I, I just didn't think he had any pass rush moves in his in his toolkit. I didn't think he was going to get anything going. And, you know, he didn't really develop much technique wise last year, but he just offered something else where you have the speed to bend the corner and it just causes so much chaos, whether he's coming off the edge or, or like looping inside having a spoon move, it just makes tackles think. And it just gives you like, you know, that split second really, really does matter up front. And he gives them something like, I just am of the mindset that even if it's only a dozen snaps a game, he needs those dozen snaps because it, things happen when he's out there. Um, you know, even if he's just, if you're lining up at say like nine tech with Dunlap, Rasheem green, Jaron Reed down the line from him, like you're opening stuff up for your three best pass rushers. And, and I just like to see that more often because um, you know, I think it's just in a place where you got to throw stuff at the wall until something sticks. Cause they cannot keep blitzing like this. It really worked against San Francisco. Uh, it was never going to work about, against Buffalo. And I just, I'm still shocked that they did what they did because it's just, it stands directly in the face of all logic and all statistics coming into the game, but they did it. And I, I just, it's inexplicable to me.
0: Yeah, um, the Jamal Adams emer- emergence as a passer in the blitz when they started blitzing the second half on Sunday is that one the main reason why Jordan Brooks spent so much time on the sidelines? He he had 32 percent of the snaps on defense on Sunday. And he kind of he has kind of flashy, flashed a couple of times against the Niners, and he kind of the one thing we've talked about is that the, the speed just was not there, and the, the fact that the guy who's basically drafted one reason for that speed he was only seeing the field. of the time on Sunday, Alistair.
2: And and DJ Reed played quite a bit as well. So I think they just kind of ran with with nickel packages a lot. But um, yeah, the right thing is tough because even going back to last year, I thought that he was amazing. I think that he's been fantastic this year as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But there comes a time where you almost need to sacrifice that little bit of play, even if there's just a drop off. I thought this was Cody Barton going into the season before kind of the Jordan Brooks selection happened where you almost just need to sacrifice to get some more play speed in there because he and Wagner are both—they're just too slow to 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 be at the second level. And it's just those two. There's just not enough speed there. Um, yeah, I just—I love KJ Wright, but I don't—I don't see how he can continue to start alongside Wagner because it's just just not enough speed whether it's cody barton or jordan brooks you need to get a little bit more play speed out there and and i mean i think we saw against arizona how ridiculous brooks's speed was um and speaking of arizona i would say that i think we'll probably see shakim griffin play quite a bit against arizona next week just you know i think they kind of like him as a spy he did a pretty good job against kyler so i'd like to see him repeat that role but um yeah he's he's in a unique situation and and yeah i just i don't know how much longer you can continue to roll out wagner and 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 right even if it's you know, I think that Wright can split snaps with Brooks or split snaps with Barton. And just when it's when you go into the sub packages and you only have the two linebackers, it can't be Wagner and Wright. There just is not enough speed between the two, even if they are able to kind of hold off the fact that they don't have great physical skills because they are just genius level football brains. Uh, yeah, they just need need more speed, and I, I want to see Jordan Brooks play some more because he's done everything right so far.
0: Yeah, Adam. Against a team like
1: Arizona, um, and I saw Nathan Ernst briefly mentioning this about you know using Jamal almost like as a linebacker. Is there any time where you might you know again, yeah like against a, a guy like Kyler Murray say well my three linebackers are going to be Brooks and Adams outside of Wagner for sideline speed and then have Ryan Neal as a strong safety where he's not really let anyone down overly or is that just kind of more like soccer style mixing around players and formations when it doesn't really work?
2: No, I think I would, I would do something like that. I mean, if you're ever going to try to be innovative and just kind of be very, very modern in, in your packages, I think against a team like Arizona is the case because just they run so much 10 personnel and so much speed up front. And then Kyler, I mean, I think Kyler running the ball is like the most dangerous play in football right now. So you kind of got to do something to, to answer that. And yeah, I, I thought Shaquem did a really good job the first time around. I, I think it's probably the hardest job in football right now is, is spying Kyler um, and he did okay, but... Yeah, I would pretty much sacrifice any. I mean, I don't think they will, but any sort of uh, safety and 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 you know just the normal packages that they have in the defense. I would sacrifice everything just get as much speed on the on the field as possible because it can't be it can't be a situation where you're just getting outrun. And it might even pop up against LA next week because you know I mean we've seen LA gash them sideline to sideline going back three years now, and it's just they're just too slow. They're not well prepared for it. Um, so I think. There is a case that it's really ugly on Sunday um, if they try to do the same thing and they try to have you know two slow linebackers at the second level. It's it's not going to be great. They need more play speed.
0: Yeah one, one, one thing on the defensive back end. Obviously, with another thing with Dunbar is that he's playing a different side of the field. Obviously, when Sh- it was Sherman and the Browner Maxwell Lane uh, rotation on the other so- other side of Sherman. Well, how big of a difference does that make? Cause obviously, Dunbar in his first. What Three or four Appearances of the team Was on the opposite time To just kill Griffin How much is, is that something That can be brought Into the equation That he looks so Off and stiff Or is it just all down the injury? Does it make that much Of a palpable difference On what side of the field He would line up on
2: I think it makes a world of difference. Um, I think people remember. Uh, well, I say people remember. Probably nobody remembers. But after uh, Shaquille Griffin's second season, that was pretty much my biggest reason for continuing to hammer on. Like, don't give up on him. When people were so down on Shaquille Griffin mm-hmm. and thought, you know, oh, Trey Flowers is the future of this position. Shaquille Griffin's a bum. Like, no, the guy just had to <clears throat> switch sides. Like, it's a massive, massive switch. Like, every single body mechanics that goes into it is is flipped. I, I can only imagine how how tricky that must be. So. I'm sure that didn't help things, um, but I would just say, yeah, it's probably like 90% his knee on Sunday because yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm sure that didn't help things, but I mean, he just, yeah, he didn't look right at all. He just, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think it, it's an under, like I think Mookie from, from field goals said that it was the worst game he's seen since Kerry Williams from the Seahawks cornerback. And I don't think that's like an cause. Oh my God, it was bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the reference you made. Adam.
1: Yeah. I think I tweeted it out. Like, you yeah. know, Griff yeah Dunbar equals Kerry Williams (laughs) even like the the lack of interest that Williams was showing uh, you know before he he got cut Um, Dunbar obviously the injury didn't help anything but yeah it just looked like he he just got to a point where it was so bad he was just disinterested it was yeah pretty horror horror watch to be
0: honest one positive though on defensive side Pete Carroll said he thinks it may have been the best game Trey Flowers has ever had I mean he seemed fired up every time he made a a stop I mean no seal defender on Sunday had a pass defense uh, logged in the box score but he he was in a game where the 415 yards of air uh, passing yards he was more closer to what he was what about a year ago Alistair Trey Flowers because he looked at the bottom of that barrel of confidence but on Sunday he kind of just seemed to be dragging his way through it and dragging his way back to a workable confidence and skill level to match that up with
2: yeah I don't know what I did to Trey Flowers to make him (laughs) feel so vindictive towards me but I mean, I, I've uh, I've stood up for this guy since since before he was drafted. I I, I believed him in his cornerback prospect and stood up for him. And when Quentin Dunbar was going through his legal situation over the summer, I, I again went to the t- went to bat for Trey Flowers. Wrote a thing about how you know don't give up on him. Like there's still reasons for optimism. Yeah. Then he looked so bad to start 2020, and I just kind of thought you know these are issues that he's had since he was a rookie. If they're not better now, they're never going to be better. So I wrote something saying you know I think this experiment is over. He just is not it. And then since then he's been great. So hey <laughs> just making me look like an idiot, um, which <laughs> never, uh, never needed. I can, I can do that on my own, but uh, no, he's been pretty solid and and that's a really good thing because I mean, if Quentin Dunbar's knee, which it sounds like it's like a chronic issue. Uh, yeah. I don't really know how that is going to get better. Um, so it might get to a place where Seattle's better off starting Griffin and flowers and, and, you know, whether it's just having Dunbar as an active or maybe he goes on IR for three weeks and, and sees if the rest can help him. But yeah, I, I think that you can't keep starting Dunbar if his knee is just going to get like 10% better over the course of the week and then get 50% worse on Sundays. I just don't know how you keep rolling out to him. It's just not fair to him either. I think that, you know, you made a good point of him looking disinterested. And I think we kind of almost heard that in Pete's post game cons where he sounded like he, he almost felt like they let him down a little bit, leaving him out there for that long. Um, and the benching was almost like a, a mercy benching because yeah, it was just, it, it was so tough on him, but I would say, I hope that that can put it into a, like this ridiculous idea that they would be better off extending Dunbar after the season than Shaquille Griffin. Um, yeah. You know, if, if there's an argument to not resign either, that's fine. I'll, I'll hear that one out. But the idea that you want to invest money in this guy who has never showed an ability to stay healthy. And then, you know, everything that went on in the summer, people can draw their own conclusions, but uh that is not somebody that i 'm wanting to invest in long term in any way uh, yeah that's I got no trust in him beyond this year, and maybe not even this year,
0: yeah, I mean because yeah, I mean chronic is a pretty legit term to have next with injuries uh
1: yeah, I mean it's kind of it always strikes ten he doesn't mean as bad it's one of those words that sounds lot. Like worse than it actually means, but it's still not one that you really want tagged with, no. with uh, any kind of injury. Let's be honest.
0: No. Uh, another positive thing, more the this week, and you're gonna have to hope for the rest of the season. As I said, it's as pretty much every person I think I follow on the Seahawks beat, and maybe even the field goals account as well tweeted. It's snack time with the news that Brian Moen is has a pretty severe high ankle sprain. Anthony Rush is signed for Chicago. It's uh, Damon Harrison's it, it, presence can only really be a positive kind of if we go off what he's done over the course of his career and nothing else, Alistair.
2: Yeah, I was. Uh, I felt a little bit bad uh, when we we found out about Brian Monet's injury because everybody, yeah, the immediate <laughs> reaction was <laughs> like celebrated, <laughs> and and I kind of felt like we were missing out the fact that Monet has been really, really, really good for Seattle this year. Um, so I think if Snacks can even just kind of replicate. What Monet has given them—that's that's a pretty good situation. Um, maybe there, there there's a chance that you know if they can get by playing Ford at three tech and, and playing Harrison at nose and, and you can kind of rest read like it, maybe that's a benefit where Harris can Harrison can play a little bit more than Monet was because um, Monet is still pretty limited as a player. Um, but yeah, if there's a situation where they're able to kind of keep read a little bit more fresh, that's good. But yeah, if Harrison the Detroit time aside, because I think that that was just a terrible situation for everybody. Cause it's the, just a hell hole right now. Um, yeah, I think if you can kind of play the level that he has for the giants and jets, like, Seattle's front has been really good all year, uh, which is kind of strange in a terrible defense. Like their their front has been really solid against the run, and yeah, I think he, he and Ford can play really well together. And, and if it keeps Reed fresh, that's a that's a big upside. But um, yeah, I felt bad people celebrating Monet's injury because that is a pretty big miss. Like he has been he's been pretty darn solid, but um, yeah. obviously everybody's excited to see snacks and rightfully so. So hopefully he gets elevated this week because uh, he's, I feel bad for the guy in some way. <laughs> <laughs> it's been darn near two months or a month now, and he hasn't gotten a chance to play yet, but uh, I can't see how he doesn't play on Sunday, but uh, it's going to be a big test. Cause cause LA is going to stretch him out to the outside. So if, mm-hmm. if Harrison's fitness isn't there, then uh, it could, it could look bad. He could look old.
0: Yeah. Adam.
1: Yeah. I mean, onto Sunday, I guess no, no better way to, to segue into it. Um, I have, a ridiculous amount of respect for Sean McVeigh, largely because every time we come up against him, he absolutely takes us to the cleaners. Um, it, this is quite a pivotal moment, I feel, for for Carroll in in this season in kind of keeping everyone on side. Obviously, there was the the good news about his contract extension coming through last Sunday.
0: I mean, then, talk, I mean, talk about timing. Yeah,
1: I mean, talk about timing. <laughs> then it kind of it was a bit like Arsene Wenger's thousandth game being a six. <laughs> um, There's the Arsenal reference? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, this feels like a pretty pivotal day for for Carol. Do, do we have faith that he's going to learn from kind of the previous five, six games against McVeigh and, and put it right? Or, or if not, as you say, are we, are we in for an ugly afternoon?
2: Yeah. I'm, oh golly. It's, it's tough because they've just, they consistently kill him um, I mean, McVeigh adapts as well, quite a little quite a bit more than we kind of thought after, after 2018, he definitely changed his approach a little bit, but uh, it does kind of seem like he's, he's one step ahead. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, all this week, I just keep thinking about their game in LA last year, which was, which was one of the worst games I've ever seen them play under Pete Carroll really. I mean, this is horrific. Um, yeah, I, it's such a weird situation because you like on paper, Seahawks are a better team than the Rams. Uh, you know, that they're a better offense, uh, obviously a massive difference at quarterback and the Rams defense has played pretty well this year, but you kind of expect it to be, you know, a close game that the Seahawks have an edge in, but then, yeah, you look back and it just as, is, is McFay has had their number since he got there. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one because you know we I think that we saw them kind of change their their roster construction to reflect the teams in their division where they start getting guys like Apuna Ford, like Al Woods, um, like Rasheem Green who can they can all defend really well moving laterally, which is which is so important against LA. But then, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, yeah, it's I really I don't know because you'd think so, you would really really think that they'd be able to to adapt and catch up, but. Every single time you think that they've adapted, LA stays a step ahead. So, so maybe they'll stay a step ahead, and it, yeah, I, it's uh, it's the most confounding matchup to me in the in the division. The Rams are the one that I always look at because it just seems like they are just destroy Seattle time and time again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Dan Cohen Adam asked us to talk about Goff a little bit, but the drop from quarterback from Josh Allen, it's I mean, this is probably a kiss of death, but I mean, it's 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 there, isn't it? So if if there's any get right. Game. Like I said last weekend about how the Cardinals' games feel different to the 49ers and the Rams game. Not just how they talk about it and how they approach it, but also how they play up until last year in LA. Really, do you think there's a different context in the Rams' games alongside the Bills and the Cardinals' game, Alistair?
2: As in, kind of the the teams' approach to it. Do you mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because it, it just kind of like you said, it, they kind of just it seems like they more gear up for the to stop the 49ers and their average quarterback and the Rams and their average quarterback, and then just let Arizona go wild and Buffalo go wild. It just kind of feels like they gear things up differently and more. Yeah, it just seems just it seems a different team to watch when you watch the 49ers game and everything else. It
2: definitely, it is one of those kind of weird things where, it's hard to quantify that in some respects, but I think that you're right. They do seem to kind of they take the fight to San Francisco, and they they almost always have.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, whether it's the Harbaugh edition or now kind of like the Smash Mouth, Kyle Shannon edition, they've never never backed down. But L.A. It almost seems like you know they're kind of this like junky, broken down car coming against a sports car, and just it never is even close. They just kind of back down from it. It's very strange. Uh, yeah, and it's something that's always interested me. and I remember asking, I asked Ugo Amadi something to do with that, where it's basically like, how do you even adjust that? Because it is so different where, you know, the Rams, they want to stretch you sideline to sideline. They're going to do it. They're going to do it with motion. They're going to do it with, um, you know, the, the splits, the receivers. They're going to do it a variety of ways. Whereas, you know, San Fran is going to get in motion. They're going to make you change your gaps, and then they're just going to run right at you. And then Arizona spread offense that just bombs downfield. And it's just such a strange different approach. So I don't know if it's a thing of where, you know, it, it just has like a, um, a byproduct of, of what the Seahawks defense is fundamentally and what the Rams offense is fundamentally that it's a bad matchup and they almost know it because they are just so attached to their core principles, hmm. but they just, I, I totally know what you mean. And it is a situation where they do always seem outclassed regardless of, of where the rosters are. And like you said, where the quarterback is, like you enter any matchup where you think, the difference between Russell's and Jared Goff that should leave you feeling good but there's never been a time since McVay's gotten there where you enter that matchup you think oh the Seahawks are going to just absolutely wreck them because it hasn't been the case and, and I have a hard time seeing it being the case.
0: Adam?
1: Yeah I mean you won't hear this on the Seahawk beat this week but the best reference for Jared Goff is he is Tim Krull and the Seahawks are Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen. <laughs> You cannot find a more mistake-ridden <laughs> goalkeeper. But you put him up against Spurs and he becomes Schmeichel times Seaman times Kahn times Neuer squared to the power of 100. And it's like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And the problem with Goff is that he is dog shit. But then every time against us, he looks like the best quarterback in the world. And I, I just don't know how to quantify it. And that's all <laughs> I've really got to say. I can you <laughs> um, Alice, did you reckon like the condotes of this world might make the same reference of Jared Goff to Tim Krall this week? Or is that am I kind of on an island with that one?
2: I, I think that right now he's trying to figure out like, okay, so in this situation, like what is the Costa Rica penalty kick takers in this situation? <laughs> <laughs> what a parallel. Wow. I mean horribly disrespectful to to a <laughs> fantastic goalkeeper, but uh yeah on a different level against Spurs but uh, wow that is uh, I'm speechless in fact you Uh, could
1: just say Newcastle United goalkeepers because Carl (laughs) Darlow did the the same thing and he's also completely useless oh Darlow's dog shit (laughs) yeah
0: this is uh, taking a slight uh, career off I'm not bitter I'm not bitter (laughs) Uh, but what, what different thing this year, Alison, with the Rams offensively is obviously the last, what, five, four or five years, they've had Todd Gurley. It's just however Todd Gurley goes is kind of how the offense, how Gerald Goff can pick us off. But this year it's Henderson, Akers and Malcolm Brown. There's no real clear number one, which is a, a, a could be. It's a diff, again, a different challenge to what the Seahawks have faced so far because really there's... Most teams have faced this year, have had just one guy, haven't they? Obviously, the 49ers were down to RB17 by the time they on into Seattle. But the fact that it could be three downs and three different running backs and three different styles and where they're good and where they can penetrate and where they can attack us is going to be a different thing that this defense, defense which has been good against the run, is going to have to game plan for in the next few days, Alistair.
2: Yeah, I think if we're going to kind of talk about uh, where the Rams have killed Seattle since McVay's been there, like as it's been as an outside zone running team and it's been just getting to the to the edge and turning the corner with, with at ease. And in that regard, it would be Henderson who, who scares me the most because he's kind of the one who can who can replicate what Gurley did the most as far as just just being a sprinter out to the edge. And he's the guy that worries me a lot. Um, I would say if if Pete Carroll was showing a weird attachment to Malcolm Brown the way that Sean McVay is, people would be losing
0: their mind. I mean. <laughs> he is. He's called Travis Homer. <laughs> like, whoa.
2: Okay. Wash your mouth there. <laughs> that is a – oh, my gosh. That's – only yeah. That, that, that opens up that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Malcolm Brown could not be – less impressive of a runner I I don't know why Sean McVay continues to play him over Cam Akers I think Cam Akers is a really good back he's one of my favorite players in the draft just out of like entertainment value just such a fun player but some reason he just keeps playing Malcolm Brown over him and every time he takes uh, Henderson out of the game to put a Malcolm Brown like that's one of those situations where it's just like awesome thank you like you're doing exactly what the defense wants (laughs) in that situation but it's Henderson is the guy who who you know, even if Gurley isn't there, and Gurley wasn't really there last year, as far as you know, prime Gurley mm. is is gone now, and and he was gone last year. Henderson is a guy who I think, if if bad Seattle shows up as they have against the Rams, and we look up on Sunday night, and and Henderson has gone off for one sixty five and two touchdowns, averaging like over six yards per carry, it will not surprise me at all. Because, yeah, I mean. The the run defense has passed almost every single test this year, except for really against Dalvin Cook, um, which is kind of fair because again outside zone has killed them, and, and you're coming against Gary Kuback, who is like the outside zone godfather. Um, so if that's in any in any, any indication, I, I would imagine they'll struggle again. Um, but they they have the defenders to defend outside zone better. I mean KJ Wright's done really well on the edge. Puna Ford is unbelievable run defender and so good defending laterally. Jaron Reed has has remained an amazing run defender and he played really well against Dalvin Cook. He made a couple big, big stops. Like that is our rare abilities for defensive tackle, which is why I cling to this idea that he can be a difference maker. Um, yeah. But, but Henderson is the one that scares me the most. And and I think that, uh, yeah, he, he's the guy who can kind of replicate what the Rams have done to them previously.
0: Yeah. And then they've got two tight ends in Everett and Higby and then the usual, and they've got the new, He's not quite good in spurts. and Rocky Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds, who could be due a, a, a contract elsewhere next year. It's it's an offense which has names which don't really pop outside the headlines. But as you say, it's just they they just kind of keep coming at us, don't they, on Sunday.
2: Yeah, and they kind of they share DNA and sit with San Francisco as far as like it doesn't really matter the personnel because they're just so so well coached. They execute everything so well that it, it doesn't really matter who's in there because it's the system that makes the players, not the other way
1: around. Yeah, Adam. No, I think that's that's what I think we should pick it.
0: Uh, okay, um, what, one more one thing. Back on Sunday is the obviously we just mentioned Travis Homer there. DJ Dallas got drilled out of bounds, which should have been a flag and wasn't. That's a different conversation. Brock, you said it was a kiss, which was. Quite strange uh, thing to mean. call it, but
2: um, well, then, uh, can I ask what you guys have thought about DJ Dallas so far?
0: I quite like him, but Alex Collins' first run going for eight when it was two-yard runs was kind of quite jarring. I, I I think DJ Dallas should be ahead of Travis Homer.
1: I thought he was decent on yeah. for a fifth round you know, rookie and his first proper start. I mean, I was slightly biased because I had an emergency running back situation in fantasy. So he was actually starting for me in fantasy. So I was willing the carries then. But I thought he kind of made some, he, he made something happen on almost all of his carries that he had. Like it looked like he was, you know, wasn't just getting stonewalled every time. I, th- I thought it was more impressive than, you know, some of the hyenas we've seen, you know, held out there in, in worst case scenarios in the past.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think he, he's a guy who I, I was really, really optimistic about after he was drafted. Um, you know, I, I think he's really interesting as a playmaker. I thought against the Niners, he kind of, he took what, what the defense gave him. Like he kind of, he didn't leave any yards out there probably didn't create more than, than anything. Like, you know, he had one carry where he he opened up his hips and, and created some extra yardage. And I thought that was a little bit more prevalent against Buffalo where he was creating more than the defense was giving, which was encouraging. Um, I think it's kind of obvious that they don't, like in a perfect world i don't think he would have played at all this year obviously injuries forced that but uh i'm i'm kind of trying to almost hold off any judgment until next year cuz i think next year is where they're looking at him as a guy who who should contribute way more
0: so do you think he's going to be the likeliest casualty for a possible Rashad Penny reemergence which seems to be more likely than we probably thought it was going to be at any point in the season cuz he's been tweeting up a storm about in almost reaching the finish line and stuff. Do you think he'll be the likeliest one to cut or anything? But on game day roster, 53, he's probably going to be the one who's going to fall by the wayside if Penny is activated and healthy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think even independent of, of Penny's health, uh, I think as soon as Hyde is back, I, I don't think we'll see Dallas at all. Um, I think I think they kind of want Carson and Hyde to be the one too and Homer to be the third down back, which he should be because he's the best third down back on the roster. Um, and then, yeah, I think looking 2021, that's when you kind of want DJ Dallas to to be a little bit more, to be an early down guy, which, um, yeah, jury's still out on that. I'm, I'm kind of interested moving forward with him. Yeah.
0: Uh, so are you confident for Sunday, Alistair, which is a strange thing to say after the last 50 minutes of conversation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> am I confident? No. Uh, am I picking the Seahawks to win? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that's pretty much the same here, Adam, I think.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you ask me on a generic phone conversation, I probably wouldn't pick the Seahawks to win, I don't I don't think. But in the spirit of uh making it a fairly homerish podcast, um if we're gonna win, I'll go thirty three thirty to Seattle.
0: Alistair score prediction?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Let's say uh thirty eight
2: thirty one.
0: Yeah, I think thirty eight. What did you say thir thirty eight thirty three? That is, we're not going to stop him we're just going to have to but take hope, the over is what you're yeah about. Yeah, yeah yeah just hope that the, the player opposite star cornerback did you know that he's changed his position name JN Ramsey he's now the star it's not like right cornerback left cornerback he's the star
2: yeah, so uh, yeah. yeah. I saw uh, that's yeah it's better that I do not uh, talk about JN Ramsey
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mate is Ramsran trying told me a couple of weeks ago he goes, he goes there's our star like yeah I know and he goes no that's the position he's playing now he's a star
2: it's because they're moving him to the slot some. They're moving him kind of all over the field. So I think it's yeah. just one of those weird, you know, it's like the money back with Deion Buchanan. It's, it's one of those weird things. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for that DK Metcalf-Rams matchup, though. It's going to be so fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing from Sunday. I mean, DK Metcalf got another 100-yard game, and he got a few of his big catches on Trey White, who is in the operator on the cornerbacks. And one of them, he just ran over, ran through his 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 coverage didn't he the long deep sideline one. I mean it's another it's another notch on his bedpost if DK Metcalf means Trey White and Stefan Gilmore there's not many receivers who've who've had the days that DK has had this season against them in their entirety of their careers is there Alistair
2: it's yeah it's getting to the point where he just needs like one good game against Patrick Peterson and then (laughs) never never need to think about it again like it's going to stop being amazing when he you know 691 like that's just going to be his stat line for the rest of time but uh yeah, I was I was really interested in that Trey White matchup coming into it because you know I think White shares a lot of similarities to Patrick Peterson and, and Peterson's kind of been the only guy to el- eliminate Metcalf up to this point, but mm-hmm. it w- was not a problem for for DK at all. I mean that was yeah,
0: it's just ridiculous. It no, I mean, just, it's
2: it's getting to the point where I'm not even I don't even enjoy writing about DK Metcalf anymore because it's just like <laughs> what do you say? What is there anymore to say? Like. <laughs> He's unbelievable. Yeah. He's just uh, starting on a different planet.
0: He's on pace for over fifteen hundred receiving yards and fifteen touchdowns. Obviously, both of them are Seahawks franchise records. He's already in the top twenty-five all-time Seahawks receiving. He passed Christian Fourier on Sunday night, which is um, I think playing forty less games than Fourier played for Seahawks as well. So it's just he's just ridiculous. And yeah, um, one big thing obviously Sunday conference as it is pretty much at any time. On the running back side, I mean, Chris Carson. It doesn't sound the wrong side of fifty-fifty, doesn't it, with Chris Carson? As we talk before we hear from Pete for a second time.
1: Yeah, just another one of these injuries that seems to be dragging on in a kind of frustrating manner. You think, well, you know, two weeks ago you thought, well, okay, well, he'll be fine against Buffalo, and then before the Buffalo game, we're like, well, he'll definitely be fine for for LA, and then you. Yeah, you know, in sort of same way as Jamal Adams, we thought we'd be back uh, just after the bye week. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's obviously so much analytical stuff about the importance of running backs and whatever, but I don't think it's kind of a an archaic thing to say that Chris Carson makes this team better. Mm. Um, I you know I think he does have a market impact on on first and second down on the offense. He just runs much more violently, and um, yeah, you know, I'm you know I'm not an enormous proponent of of the importance of getting, you know, the running game, you know, I'd rather Wilson throw it around because he's our best player, but when they do run, I would much rather it was Chris Carson there, um, than, than the guys they've got, which is no fault of the others. They're just young and not, not quite as good yet.
2: Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. That's kind of where I stand on where, yeah, definitely kind of a, not a big believer in the importance of establishing the running game or anything like that would rather not pay running backs, but I don't know how you watch the past couple of games and not see that, Chris Carson makes this team far, far, far better than DJ mm-hmm. Dallas right now, which is yeah. it's not an indictment on DJ Dallas. Like Chris Carson is, is an amazing running back. Um, I don't think that's really all that, that crazy to say it Is I would argue probably the second best running back in the league last year. Uh, if we're kind of excluding Christian McCaffrey, who's not totally running back by traditional, <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitions, but yeah, I, I think that. I mean, we, we saw that awesome story uh, on the Athletic a couple of weeks ago, just about how how badly Carson wants to play sixteen games and, and prove he can he can do it because uh, obviously it's not really something he's been able to do. So he's a guy who who even if it doesn't sound great throughout the week, um, I mean, even go back to. To two weeks ago against the Niners, like it was something where I was even surprised when the inactives came out that he was there because I think it's something that like is of the biggest importance to him this year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes against the Rams, but if they want to play it safe, um, even if they have Hyde back, I, I'd feel really good about Hyde being back there. I'm, I I like Hyde a lot, but uh, yeah, I don't know about I don't know about Carson for this week.
0: So yeah, uh, this week the Seahawks game against the Rams is not on Sky Sports of so two after R, obviously because uh, the Cardinals is lovely stuff on a thursday fucking night and then the week after is monday night football in philadelphia which is just just not very friendly um to be honest uh yeah uh any NFL news adam before we ever spin in the bin uh i mean monday night was
1: was uh, a strange one um <laughs> i woke up at like half past three and just like check my phone just see what the score was and i genuinely it was 31 nil on the on the fancy app and i was like well that's obviously a mistake um, there's something not right there. I mean, it was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't you know, watched enough of the game back, but it just sounded like uh, the Saints really had their way. And it's just annoying because in, a, in an NFC which probably doesn't have a, a star team, it's kind of hoping for as few potential star teams as possible. And you didn't really need the Saints going back into the fold as a, as a potential winner.
0: Yeah, and Michael Thomas is back as well, another 50 yards on his first game back. And as to uh, I mean, it was question marked for about 10 days Why they went from Fitzpatrick to Tua But I mean, I only watched the condenser that game But boy, was that a fun game to watch with Kyler And Tua, just throwing hate makers at each other Obviously, Kyler made the bigger mistakes But Tua's it's still weird watching a left-handed quarterback throw It's still quite jarring But he's, he's settled debate conversation rather quickly, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, it was, that was such a fun game. I think very rarely you kind of see those like marquee, you know, one player versus one player sort of matchup, but that was, that was that. And that it lived up to the billing. Um, I think credit to Miami. They, they've kind of done everything right as an organization. and I think it's pretty cool that they're, they're actually really kind of going for it this year, which, which I didn't expect from them, but I think they deserve a lot of credit. They're doing it the right way. And um, yeah, I, I didn't think that they were kind of doing it for now, but seems pretty obvious they are because two is, is legit and we get it again this week. It's, it's two of Herbert, which will be
0: yeah.
2: absolutely awesome again. Um, yeah, I think, I, mean, I, think, I mean, from a Seahawks perspective, I think that win on in Miami is going to age pretty well because Miami's defense is legit and they're really, really well coached. And, and that game was never really in doubt. So that is a good win for the Seahawks as people kind of, again, try to frame it as like they have no quality wins. Like they have any control over their schedule.
0: <laughs> yeah, but also they did i mean they until garbage time they kept them out of the end zone as well as all jason sanders field goals until like six minutes ago in that game as well wasn't it
2: yeah and that was off of like a red hot Fitz performance when he's he's really feeling it and he's kind of in that Fitz magic mode so yeah. yeah it was a quality win i i like those the dolphins are a fun team to watch which is not uh not something anticipated at all
0: yeah and also this week uh it's uh josh allen against Kyler as well which i mean uh, Kyler murray's easily wasn't what favorite place to watch when the Seahawks ain't on, Adam. them
1: yeah I mean just back to to the Dolphins I know obviously familiarity is, is kind of always going to lean you in this direction but watching Tua he really reminded me of like a 2012 Russ the way in which he was ru- running around like using his not ridiculous speed but using his speed to get away cannon of an arm running smartly um I guess we're just not conditioned to remember Russ like that, but, you know, flicking back some of his 2012 highlights, it, I don't know, it just it, just watching Tua uh, in that game, I thought, huh, that reminds me of what Wilson used to be like a little bit.
2: It's just such a nice rhythm watching him. And, and I think in that regard, you're banging on with the 2012 Russ thing where it just seems like he was, you know, easy completions or like zone reads picking up eight yards at a time. And just, there's just such a nice rhythm watching the offense. And yeah, Tua is just you can see that he is just a quarterback you know we see a lot of young quarterbacks who are much more like athletes and traits than, than quarterback and Tua is a quarterback in every sense like he's in total control already and it's it's really cool to see I mean yeah the the young QBs in the NFL the next wave is is something else and there's like
0: f- there's four or five coming up this year as well aren't there
2: yeah, I can't wait to see how this year's class falls. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's in good hands. And it's weird that Russ is no longer kind of a part of that wave that you're looking yeah. at the Nexus. <laughs> it's a bizarre thing in its own right.
0: Yeah, and uh, one cool thing. I got a text at some point on Sunday night while I was trying not to throw things at the TVs. Madre Harper had a fumble recovery on the Jets special teams and apparently Joe Judge spent... Five minutes earlier, breaking every aspect of the fumble recovery down on his weekly show on the U, uh, on the Giants YouTube or socials or stuff. But I mean, we're talking about cornerback for forty-five minutes. I mean, they just listen to us? Shouldn't they, asked
2: Should have had him out there instead of, <laughs> instead of one-legged Dunbar. It would have been better off. <laughs> uh,
0: just spin it a bit, Adam. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Uh, do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, I'll start one off. This isn't really an NFL thing as much as anything else, but the. The meme again surfaced last night. It's not even a meme. I think Dan Orlowski put it out of the uh, A to F, one oh, the, to yeah. six colors of what they are calling coffee and how do you drink yours? And it is driving me mad because they are objectively cups of tea and no coffee looks like the colors there. And so... That's been uh, really starting to, to piss me off. I mean, that's a stupid thing, but uh, even Matty Brown picked up on it saying, I'm pretty sure that's tea. So, uh, yeah, in, in Matty, we trust when it comes to that. And I was pleased to see him and, on my side.
0: And also, the one that goes out diagonally across is all the same. They're identical colors. It
1: literally needs about eight pictures of tea, not 26 or <laughs> many of their eyes. It's very, very stupid. Um,
0: yeah, um, it took nine. What week are we? Nine weeks, I've already had enough of this ESPN crew. Um, I don't <laughs> I've had enough. I've had enough. Like last week, Antonio Brown. This week was just like I've watched. I've watched Greasy and Steve Levy do college games before, and it was quite good. But yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's just annoying. I think it's I think it's made more clear because there's no crowd to like soften the blow of Steve Levy shouting for three hours. But it's not good. I mean, it's it's better than it was last year, but. Yeah, they swung and miss slightly. Lance Reddick's probably going to leave for a GM job or front office job in January anyway. And it sounds like the ESPN might be losing. Uh, well, there might be some debate if they keep um, the night football. I think the deal's up in uh, next summer as well. But yeah, it's, I've, I've I'm tapping out of ESPN. It's really fun. We've got them in two weeks, Alistair.
2: Yeah, I have. I don't know. I. Guess I haven't enjoyed a Monday night football broadcast since the last uh, John Green one because it's been it's been so bad. I'm 100 yeah. percent with you on this year's crew. I, I try to avoid criticizing uh, broadcasters, at least on Twitter, just because it, 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 they're <laughs> the poor guys. Just are never not in like the firing <laughs> line. They just get so much shit during broadcasts. But yeah. yeah, it's been so bad. And it, like, I don't know. Honestly, I don't care about most of the broadcast crews. But in primetime slots, that's when I want a re- really good broadcast because it's supposed to be you know, a big event, like every Sunday night football feels like an event regardless of the yeah. game because you got Chris and Al on the call it's fantastic. But yeah. And the weird thing is like Louis Riddick is so Louis Riddick is so outspoken as a studio analyst. He's outspoken on Twitter, very strong opinions, but in the booth, he just seems to kind of like w- wither a little bit. And, and I just, I want him to take charge of the broadcast because he's the only one who has interesting insights, but most of the time it's quiet, but yeah, the, uh, the Antonio Brown stuff it, that. Oh my God. I did not need that. Uh, <sighs> That was that was a joke. That was an embarrassment.
0: They had uh, Chris Fowler and Herb Street did the one the first of the week one double headers, and it was it was as you say, it felt like an event because when you see these Her- 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 his um, Oregon Ducks Her- fans, I think celebrating because there was um, because them two were on their game against Stanford on on Saturday night. It was kind of like when you see those two. It's kind of it is that kind of event. And it's not really that with those three which is a shame because yeah, you know, it's like as you say it's prime time it's the only one the only voices people watching on tv can hear adam uh alistair anyone for the bin this week
2: yeah this is this is kind of off the top of my head but uh <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna sound like I'm, I'm responding to a specific person but it's not really but this idea that that brian schottenheimer is is now also going to be a hot head coaching candidate is uh <laughs> the most absurd idea um in the world. Uh, I know, I understand that, you know, Seahawks fans are, are fans specific team. So obviously they're close to that specific team and probably don't have a, a, a great awareness of kind of what's going on in the rest of the league. But um, in no circumstances, Brian shot and I were going to stroll into eight head coaching interviews in the off season. Um, he could, he could not have like a, not a worse reputation league wide, but more established one. Like he is a soft-spoken kind of aloof, goofy guy. He's not, a hot head coaching candidate in any sense um there are a number of coordinators and young offensive minds who are are much more appealing choices if if that's why he's going to get this interview um yeah just (laughs) this idea that you know we need to worry be worried about shoddy leaving or 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 promote him to head coach to stop him from leaving (laughs) he's not going anywhere as long as he wants to be in seattle he's going to be there because he is not getting a head coaching job
0: yeah, and I think also, we talked about Adam briefly back on the game last week. It's twice where the defense have just thrown everything at Russ and the adjustments have not come, which is slightly concerning because you'd expect now the Bills and the Cardinals in that second half of give teams the blueprint of how to slow down this offensive Russ, haven't they, a bit?
2: Yeah, and uh, Buffalo was especially strange. Uh, watching this morning, I just kept thinking, like I-, I haven't seen Russ be so frantic in a while. He did not look at all composed which which i think we saw on a couple like individual plays against arizona but it was almost play in play out against buffalo towards the end which maybe that's just a product of of having pressure in your face every school play but yeah. uh you haven't seen him like that in a couple of years now like not really since shoddy arrived which is is strange not that i, I don't think it's a, a problem where it's going to continue for a long time at all but yeah i i'm pretty pretty disappointed by the lack of adjustments they made especially in arizona where like it was kind of obvious that the entire defensive route to winning that game for Arizona was, was pressure to us and, and they didn't really do anything to adjust, which happens all too often. The lack of in-game adjustments is uh, it's been a continuing problem for, for years now.
0: Yeah. I don't anyone for the
1: bin. Anyone there is one me? and it's uh it's our old friends, the Houston Texans. So I think I feel like we've done <laughs> this a couple of times for their, uh, personnel decision making but they uh they fired their vp of communications amy palchish today uh four days ago she tweeted about kamala harris uh becoming vice president and how what a great thing that is for for young women which is objectively correct whatever you think like mm. uh, of anything or what side of anything you're on that is a great thing for you know, a lot of young women to see and, and you know what, what what can be achieved and whatever and uh, she's been fired today for I think cultural differences um, make of that what you will uh, but not, well, not a particularly good look for the Texans there I wouldn't have thought
0: well the McNair family I think Stephen Cohen pointed out the McNair family donated around $50,000 to the GOP Senate race packs whatever they're called over there which is yeah it's it doesn't doesn't look the uh, optics of it aren't great again for the Houston Texans I mean a a cultural difference when there isn't really any clear culture with no permanent head coach no GM and a ownership firm that's in some state of flux after obviously Bob McNair died earlier this year I mean it's a long year but I think it was earlier this year yeah the Houston Texans are just poor poor Deshaun Watson Alistair
2: poor Deshaun Watson indeed Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) I feel bad for him he's electrifying superstar and he's he's stuck in that that shithole um (laughs) it was a bold move though because i mean like anytime the texans do anything sports writers are way too happy to just line up and get off jokes but to hire or to fire like a a pr person who directly makes their jobs easier and and works with these people on a day to basis of course writers are gonna have an absolute field day and stand up for somebody they appreciate so yeah they haven't really done uh anything smart in a long time and uh that doesn't seem to be changing, which is not great.
0: Mm, uh, one more thing. When we were arranging this uh, a few hours ago, you sent me, uh, can we talk, well, can we, you actually said, can we spend 90 minutes on this thread? And it's a thread by Scott Oliver at Reverse Sweeper on Twitter. So which on the session Premier League managers, which manager are you, Alistair? <laughs>
2: oh, golly, that's a great question. I mean, the authentic answer kind of probably should not be shared out of uh professionalism here but uh <laughs> just the, the the jose one absolutely had me in tears where it says and you hate yourself which he likes and it just i love jose everything about the the experience of him is just just glorious and that thread everybody go seek it out because it's the best thing i've ever seen in my life
0: yeah i mean <laughs> the steve bruce one kind of rings scarily true
2: yeah not i i can't find humor in steve bruce no matter what it
0: is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i think that's everything adam yeah, we'll, yeah. Good. we'll be uh, podding earlier next week obviously, because the Thursday night game against Arizona back in Seattle but Alistair, as always a massive thanks and massive appreciate you jumping on where can people catch your writings and film breakdowns on socials and
2: yeah yeah just check out uh, field goals dot com we're just uh, gonna keep on pumping stuff out as the scene progresses hopefully uh more wins to talk about than losses because uh, the mood when, when losses happen is, is not great. But uh, yeah, they'll probably win some more games. So after wins, at least come check us out.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want to get in touch with podcast, you can all use your means and methods on the Facebook page. We are going to be trying, maybe trying to launch something a bit different to get you guys, the all five or six listeners out there, Uh, more involved in the pod in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Yeah, I think that is everything. So until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks!